0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the Salesman Podcast hosted by Will Barron. Now, if you work in sales, you want to learn how to sell, or you want to peek at some of the latest sales news and insights, you need to listen to the Salesman podcast. The host, Will Barron, helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. If you think any of the following topics resonate with you, you're going to love the show. How to find and close your dream job in sales, 12 essential principles of selling, digital body language, how to have better Zoom sales meetings, or how to tell a remarkable sales story. If these are topics that would interest you, go check out the Salesman Podcast podcast wherever you get your podcasts or at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Jake Dunlap. Jake is the CEO and founder of Scaled. They work with some of the largest organizations in the world by optimizing their sales processes, people technology with customized, repeatable, and sustainable strategies that can help them drive revenue. Prior to Scaled, Jake headed sales and customer success for Chartbeat. In the first nine months of his tenure at Chartbeat, he grew annual bookings by more than 300% year-over-year and doubled monthly recurring revenue. Before that, he was VP of sales at Glassdoor, where he expanded the department from 1 to 40 employees and grew direct revenue from $0 to nearly $1 million in monthly recurring revenue. Since launching Scaled in 2013, he's been a sought-after industry thought leader. He's been quoted by Forbes, Inc., and Huffington Post on all things sales and revenue. We spoke about sales. We spoke about his background, how sales has changed from when he first started in sales to a modern selling environment. We spoke about sales tech. We spoke about the modern sales organization. We spoke about why sales is no longer about relationship building. We spoke about Uh, Activity tracking and uh, performance optimization for sales teams. We spoke about whether or not cold calling is still effective in 2022. We spoke about uh, building a brand. We spoke about side hustles. We spoke about the difference between inbound and outbound sales and just general advice for people that are either at an executive level in sales all the way through to somebody who's starting in their first sales gig. Jake has basically worked with sales organizations of all size. He knows. The tools, the strategies, the tech to take an organization to the next level, regardless of what they're selling. He's an incredible sales mind. And we go into pretty much everything and anything sales, which is obviously something that I have a passion for since I've done it most of my career. So let's jump right into it. I'm not going to ruin the show. Let's let Jake uh, give you the rundown on everything you have to know about sales in 2022. This is Jake Dunlap, founder, CEO of Scale.
1: So, I mean, what a lot of people don't know is my origin story starts in the Midwest. So I was born in a 800 person town in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, uh, and then lived in Nebraska, Iowa, and then really grew up in Kansas city though. So, um, spent most of my years in the Midwest. And when I kind of reflect back, I think that there's, you know, think about like why I didn't get active, you know, more out in the public sooner. It's that, you know, when you grow up in the Midwest, I think you get this idea of you just put your head down and work you know, I started working, I think, when did I get my worker's permit? 14. I really don't know why. I mean, maybe I wanted to buy some extra tennis shoes or something, but I think I've always had like a very strong, you know, sense of like work ethic. And, you know, I think that comes from where you, where you grow up. And so, you know, I was fortunate that as I went through high school and then in college, I got into telemarketing and why, because it paid the best. And I found I had some like natural skill there. And so, you know, my origin story is very much just one of Working hard, having a lot of fun along the way, I took five and a half years to graduate college um which we can we would have been
0: friends and it, and we would have been friends
1: <laughs> and, and <laughs> sure. we can get into some at some point um and you know, just really trying to perfect the craft meaning- meaning I am one of those people that is a lifelong learner i I hire lifelong learners, I struggle with people who are complacent or just want to collect the paycheck, and for me, my journey is always about. Am I getting better to prepare myself for whatever the next next thing is um, versus a paycheck or, you know, immediate immediate gains or rewards?
0: Okay, that makes sense. And that's something that you sort of taken with you. You've had uh, like a very impressive career. And I want to dive into some of the roles that you've had and some of the things that you've learned over, over your career. But that's that's what pushed you into telemarketing. Um, that's money, sort of well, something that was
1: money, I mean let's be honest I was that was money but I mean but I
0: mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, but I mean like you're you're still living that today, even like you know we were talking we were shooting the shit before about like what you're working on now, yeah and you're still pushing yourself outside your comfort zone mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's so. all it's all like I feel like there's two types of people there's the people that run into the to the shit, and there's people that don't and i'm I'm definitely one of those, you know, I remember when I first started my company um the amount of people that I met with that said, Jake, do not start a services business. And trust <laughs> me, there's times when I'm like, you were 100% right. But, you know, look, we're 40, 45 people now. And I didn't want to start a lifestyle business, you know, making half a million, million dollars a year, just doing my own thing, I don't think would have been that rewarding. Um, and, I, you know, I made more money in 2012 than I have in any year as being, in, you know, running my own company. But I'm building, you know, and, and we'll get there. Just, you know, if I wish we'd get there faster. Sure. but you know, we'll figure it out. And so I think I've always kind of chosen the path of to push myself, uh, to, to be better in whatever it is that I'm doing.
0: Um, so you, you got into sales, you know, you, you were, you got into sales for, for money. It was a good option at the time, but, um, you were at some point successful (laughs) because you made a career out of it.
1: Yeah. I was almost successful immediately, but, um, like I, you know, when I did the telemarketing in college, I, um, I, what I found, I, the skill that I had that most of the people didn't, is I didn't take it personally. It, and I had fun with it. Like, I, I think I've told this before. Like, I created alter egos. Like, there was Dennis. And Dennis <laughs> Dillish, Dillish had a retainer. And he would cold call you. And, hi, Dennis. And, like, I knew that, that this was a numbers game and that I could have fun. And I didn't... You know, when people got upset, I'm like, the next one, the next one. And I think whether it was through training that they had, I just realized that this very formulaic, if I just do enough of these things and I continue to get better, I will hit the results that I want and not dwelling on what happened before. So I think that's what gave me this kind of natural propensity to be Mm -hmm. good at sales. And then, you know, coming out of college, it was, I wanted to work in sports, right? Probably like a lot of people, I wanted to work in sports and the first, you know, I applied to a bunch of jobs and the Tampa Bay Rays were hiring for a group sales team. And so I applied to some roles. I flew down to Tampa. I've told this story before. I've had my business plan. One of the smartest things. I cannot remember this professor's name. I wish I could give them credit. They're like, bring a business plan to your interview, and I'm like, you know, how would you actually do the job? And so I brought a business plan with me that said how I'm going to sell group tickets in Tampa. And I went online, probably to Google or web crawler or whatever it was back then, and I looked at trends in like demographics in Tampa and St. Pete and put together this thing. It was probably horrible, um, but I got the job. And what happened is I used to love to read, you know, and kind of in college, I think you could get away with that because you're like always reading or you kind of get away. And there's a guy who's a little bit older and he got me back into reading kind of sales and professional books and marketing books. And I just gobbled it up. I, I, sales for me satisfied a lot about curiosity, um, problem solving, that it just doesn't get that much credit for um that you know great really great people i think professionals true professionals are very curious people and genuinely focused on providing the right outcome and they're an expert in their world and all of that was very appealing to me early on uh, yeah
0: um you were so those are all great traits you hire for now but you didn't i don't did you know like you, you weren't self-aware enough uh, back then when you were when you were applying for like you applied for Tampa Bay Rays or so you got that job, no. then you were Arizona Coyotes, which is <laughs> yeah, it's an old it's throwing it back a little bit too. Um, yeah. Isn't that Phoenix? Is it the Phoenix? Arizona yeah, yeah. Coyotes. What is that? That's the that Phoenix. Team. Oh, yeah, it's I, thought I thought it was like oh, okay, cool. Change, right, I think I yeah. just
1: changed it to be broader. So <laughs> <on the same laughs> that's screwing with like, me when now. When like from Tucson is going to drive to go watch the Coyotes. Um, um, no, I, okay. it, it was my first job. I mean, honestly, that job with the Rays, I, I, I mean, not to kind of sound like I'm brave. I, I destroyed everybody really quickly. <laughs> Meaning like I had already done, like, just imagine these kids, a lot of people coming out of college. One, I already had that experience. I already worked. I already had done, I already had learned techniques. And, and so I went from group sales to season ticket sales to senior account executive, me and just one other guy to me and him running the inside sales team in 16 months. I I knew really early that that skill of not caring, putting in the work, um, treating it like a profession it was. I, I saw results quick, quickly. You know that was
0: um, that was like two thousand. That was like early two thousands, two thousand three to yeah,
1: early to mid two thousands. Yeah.
0: But but even the stuff that you talk about now. So let's let's talk about like what sales was back then. Is that like dialing for dollars? Like, is there a process or you just throw in a phone book and say, go sell?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, actually. So, yeah, 2000, 2006, after I got out of sports, so I, I put it on my LinkedIn profile. I, I thought that being the best meant that you were untouchable. It does not. And so I got into it with my boss. I told him to F off. He fired me for it. Even though I was the number one premium seat seller at the, at the Coyotes at the time. Um, wow, well, it was really eye-opening. Um, and, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do jumped in with this company called career builder without the time was the largest job site they just opened an office in phoenix um and it was career builder where i found the process of sales i had a lot of natural ability and like intuition but career builder there's there's a really kind of like very pivotal moment in my career where i was a training class of eight i took a step back like account executive role um didn't have the i didn't know that i wanted to work in tech or in like you know online you know services but um I was the second last person to sell anything. It's like, I've been there for like a month or something, month and a half. I hadn't sold anything. And I'm like, what is going on? And my boss's boss listened into a call. And he's like, dude, why aren't you following the script? And I'm like, dude, the script, man, come on. I'm not following a script. I'm Jake Dunlap. You know, I'm not doing that. And, uh, and he goes, dude, do you think we train a thousand people on this? Cause we're stupid. He's like, do you think we train people on a process that doesn't work? And I was like, probably not. And so, uh, I did it and I followed, I literally was, I remember reading, I, I, I remember this and I'm like, this feels really awkward. But then all of a sudden I hear how they're responding. They're just like opening up. I'm like, Hmm. I, I'd start following it. And then the next month so my first month after doing it, I closed $60,000 in new business. And that was for me when I was like, Holy shit. Sales is a science. It is a process. There's actually a right and a wrong buyer journey. And a way to move customers through the process. And before I, I kind of always thought it was very happenstance and everyone's different. And so it's actually that experience that I think solidified like this is I like this literally checks all the boxes of like something that I want to go deep on and really be an expert at.
0: I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Feedback Loop. Now, if you're a product person, entrepreneur, startup guy like me. You have at some point in your career tried to take a product to market. You've tried to come up with a new idea and it's fell flat. It's ultimately failed. 85 to 90% of all new products, of all new startup ideas fail. Why is this? Basically, it is really hard, really expensive, and really time consuming to validate product market fit with your potential consumers or customers. Old-style market research is way too slow, too complicated, too time-consuming for dynamic, fast-moving teams that want to build great stuff. But what if you could test out your idea, your product, with your target consumers whenever you want before you invest in the money, time, energy, effort that it takes to actually develop a product? Well, that's what startups all the way through to Fortune 500 are using Feedback Loop for. You get quality feedback. ...from your target customers early and often. Feedback Loop is the test-before-you-invest product research platform. It has built-in expert templates for concept testing, user discovery, prioritizing features on your roadmap, and much more. You can create your own test in minutes and get quality insights from your target consumers in hours. They've set up a special link for everybody who's a Success Story podcast listener to test it out to try it. Go to go.feedbackloop.com success. You get three free tests. That's go.feedbackloop.com/success. You can try it out for free. You get three free tests. So if you want your next product idea or feature to be a hit, test before you invest. Build based on data, not opinion, and launch with confidence with Feedback Loop. Check it out right now. So you were you—that was your first sales leadership role that you moved into at Career Builder, correct? And then I you, got and promoted to leadership two months yeah. later. Two months okay, later, cool. after that. Um, what is, what is, uh, what is sales process in, in 2010 compared to what it is now?
1: Uh, I, the same, I do you, honestly, you think? Uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm asking, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I'm asking. It yeah. really isn't. I'll tell you what's, I'll tell you what, what I think, <clears throat> cause I'll tell you what's kind of interesting. It's like, what happened is in the mid 2010s, we started to get all this sales tech right? You got, you know, different sales engagement platforms. There's a whole bunch of other things that kind of popped up during this like genre. And what actually started to happen is I think sales started to get worse. We digressed. We started to, we started to simplify sales into like qualification criteria and are they qualified and we're moving them through the funnel. And now we're kind of coming back to this idea of like, the customer experience and like, what do they feel like? So, you know, I think the things that are different are things like access to information. That to me is a big one. You know, it used to be, you don't talk about price or, you know, you don't, you know, you, you wait for them to get other people involved. Whereas now people still don't have time for that. You know, it's like, I think removing friction, I think there's maybe a little too much friction back then. And there still is today. Um, that I think is certainly one, I think customers are much more educated, whereas they were relying on a salesperson to kind of educate them on a space, et cetera. Um, than ever before. I think that that's a big trend that I see now. And then just the rise of sales tech. There's, there's I think there's almost 2,000 sales technologies now. So your ability to do more with less um, and automate things that you couldn't even imagine that were automatable 10 years ago. Um, I think those are probably the big trends. But I think the concept of like, what is great sales? It's having a con- It's being educated on somebody's space to where you can actually provide real value. It's knowing how to dig deep and understand what the true priorities are. And then walking them through how you might be able to help them that my friends that has not changed since forever. Um, but I do think we've tried to dumb it down too much and we've kind of automated the wrong things and um, we're doing manual things that we shouldn't be doing at this time.
0: I was I was going to ask like later on, but I was just curious if you think um, sales reps have have almost become like complacent and just dependent on technology to the to a fault now with outreach and gong and all, all the automation tools that you can now use. And I think that now that's actually, in my opinion, it's turning customers off because they, they get so used to being highly targeted and with specific automated sequences to the point where now somebody who is more, like, I hate to use it, like old school, like just like is a little bit more like uh less uh, regimented in their process. The customer will feel that they're, they're actually not part of a sequence or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is, do people feel, um, it is, uh, how about this? I'll maybe start here. I don't think it has ever been easier to stand out. <laughs> like God forbid you spent five minutes personalizing something. That's a
0: smart that's, way to put it. Yeah. That's
1: relevant. I feel like, <laughs> The, and, but I blame lead, I mean, to, to go back to your point, but but that, that's like one point. The second is, this is a leadership problem. Leaders are the ones doing this. Leaders right now are too short-term focused. They can only think about this month or this quarter. And I very specifically remember when I first moved into leadership, I said, Jake, you got eight months to turn this, this team around, right? I said, okay, we're here. Here's about, we're about middle of the pack. Got eight months. Why? Had to get the right people on the bus, wrong people off the bus. Up level, up skill. And I don't think we think enough about the personal, the, the development of our people as leaders, and that it's our job as leaders to stay up to speed on what these tools can do. I think, I think what you're actually seeing is that too many, too many executive teams, CEOs too, don't even know what's possible. So they can't build sales machines differently because they don't even know what's possible. They've outsourced that knowledge to like operations people. And I think that that you're gonna if you're gonna be a a senior leader in marketing or sales in the future, you have to know the art of possible. You have to stay up to to speed on the latest technology, what people are doing. You don't have to know it intimately, but you have to understand how it fits in the ecosystem and what's what it's capable of. And then you have to refresh that knowledge every nine to twelve months because those tools are evolving so quickly as well. My uh, we had a couple of new executive hires join, and they're like, Jake, why do you take so many of these partner calls? I probably meet at least. Mm, two to five new technologies every week. Half of them, like most of them, we're not going to do anything with. But I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Why? That's my job. My job is to stay ahead of where it's going. So if we're building a modern sales org, I have an idea of what's possible and what's not. And so I think a lot of sales leaders right now and, and CEOs are not doing a good enough job of thinking about how to build tomorrow's team versus recreating the team that I was successful, you know, 10 years ago. Or twelve years ago.
0: So, when you, I want to, I want to touch on that, but I want to, I want to first keep going through your career because I, I want to talk about. So, it's up to you. Whatever you want to focus on, either, either Chartbeat or Glassdoor, whichever one was the most impressive. Actually, Chartbeat, Glassdoor, or, or No Way, which, which one was the most impressive? Because then you hit, you hit after this, you hit multiple like VP sales roles, right? Or, or, or head of sales or, or sales executive roles. Yeah. Then
1: I was done. I mean, yeah, I was like, well, what happened after Chartbeat? After I got fired. Because I hit the numbers. But I sucked at politics. Okay, so this is what happened for me as a VP. Glassdoor, I think, is the most impressive just because, you know, we exited for 1.2 billion, right? That's so pretty damn impressive. Not cash, bad. Not bad. <laughs> right? And I built the team from nothing, from zero to—I took the team from zero to 40 people in about a year and from zero to a, a million in MRR in a year. <clears throat> we closed 20—what was it? We closed 25 of the Fortune 100 in the first, in the first year. Um, and that for me was just like, Oh, I'm good at this. Like I can build repli. Cause again, I like what, what happened? I learned this repeatable process at the previous company. I was able to transport over, make some changes, but what I sucked at was politics. You know, I was like, I'm like 30 years old, 31. Like <clears throat> I'm like running. I, I don't know how to forge. I didn't do a good enough job getting mentors, et cetera. And so I didn't know how to forge relationships with my CFO or CTO and, I did a really bad job of that, and so it's really easy to kind of layer me, which is what happened at Glassdoor. And you know, <clears throat> even though I'd done the job successfully, and then the same thing happened at Chartbeat. Like we had crushed our numbers, went from one to four million in less than a year, and I couldn't get along well with others. Like my kind of like some of these people weren't my peers, but counterparts. And I just realized, like, what, 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 what's my real path? I love doing the work. I love building the teams. I love building out the sales processes and. And, and tackling these problems but you know what's my next thing i'm like i'm just going to go to another startup and like it'll the same thing will happen in three years and then i just realized that's what it, just what happens in tech and so i said well forget that i'm just going to do it myself and no way it was one of our my first clients actually um and we helped to help them to close a quarterback a you know, four million dollar deal with them that helped them to exit to yelp about a year and a half later two years later um and you know, it was kind of after that experience where I really started to scale the consulting company. Um, you know, I technically No Wait slash Yelp was a part of Scaled, but I was spending a lot of my time there, not in building the company as much. But we had employees from almost day one. You know, I think we had five, at least four to five people from almost day one.
0: Um, when you when you started Scaled, uh, you. What was the goal of scale? Like, did you have an idea of what you wanted to build up? What was no. the problem that you were trying to solve in sales? You had no idea. You were just, I'm good, so I'm good that's at sales.
1: So that's an entrepreneur lesson. That's an entrepreneurial <laughs> lesson. So at... what did you do? Yeah, I'm good at it. It's probably the biggest mistake was I didn't have a clear vision. Um, what I knew is that I like to solve sales challenges, right? And that I thought that I had a unique skill set um, and I'd proven it, right? Um, everywhere I'd ever went. Um, that I could build repeatable, scalable sales processes and develop people to generate repeatable results. Um, that was a skill set that I had. But what I didn't know is like, what did I want to do with it? You know, what did I want the company to be? You know, any of that. And so I think we kind of meandered for a few years of just like, oh, is it sales related? Like, we'll do it. Didn't matter yeah. if it was a project base or, you know, whatever it was. And so it caused a lot of <sighs> schizophrenia, I think, in yeah. the company of people like. We're doing this now and that now. And I think it wasn't until probably 2017, 18, where we started to kind of focus on, okay, who do we want to be? And I think we're, you know, we're kind of going through that exercise right now too of what does the future look like? How do we, do, how do we need to evolve the business, et cetera?
0: What was, what was that? What was that somewhat, somewhat sense? The, the evolution of that company, what was the final decision? What did you finally double down on as a company that uh, you thought you, know, you could honestly, really a, solve for? It was
1: eliminating stuff. Right. It was okay. saying like, so we, we had scaled an outsource legion arm that was doing like a million a year in like five months, but it was the, I hated the business. I hated it. Like I was having these conversations with CEOs about, well, we thought we were getting 20 qualified meeting. We got 16 and it's like, we're building outbound from scratch. You just met with capital one and Delta and you're sitting here complaining to me and like, and I'm like, yuck, this is not why I got into this. So we asked it. <laughs> we asked it we sold off some of our competitors converted some of them to consulting clients and just let the other ones go a funny story man we had some baller clients like discover org which became zoom info was one of our yeah. first clients for that they had eight sales people <laughs> and, we, and we were doing outsource legion for discover org back in like 2015 or something like that for yeah 15. i maybe? guess what i'm i
0: guess yeah. i'm trying to figure out is like what what does what does a modern sales org lack where they need to actually go out? When's the point when a modern sales organization, uh, VP sales CRO is like, I'm not figuring this out in-house. I need to go to scale or or otherwise. What's that, what's, what's that need that you feel? Uh,
1: so here's what I'd say. I think that the way that you phrase the question is a part of the problem. And, and what I mean by that is in, in every other part of your organization, okay? Let's take marketing. Marketing hires an, a performance agency. Marketing mm-hmm. hires a PR agency. Marketing hires a web agency. Marketing hires a digital agency. Marketing hires a brand agency. You hire experts, right? Finance, they hire audit experts. They hire tax experts. Sales is the only organization that has a a notion that that instead of hiring experts at sales tech, at this part of unclogging our funnel, that instead we're just going to do it in-house. And I think that we're seeing the ship that it's, it's certainly changing, right? Like we're seeing like people get it now. I think more and more of like, well, you're not going to find some sales ops person who's done 300 outreach instances, like overhauls, like we have, like, why are you trying to hire that person when, you know, we're not that different in cost and we've done it hundreds of times. And so I just think it's a sales mindset and, and, and part of it is self-imposed by leadership. Sales leaders make more than anyone in the company usually. Mm-hmm. CEO sometimes not in the, like obviously Fortune 500s, but and so there's almost this like backlash, right? Of like, well, why would a sales leader need help? It's like, well, because things are shifting really <laughs> quickly and like it's hard to stay at the speed on what's happening. So I, I think it's actually you know like a, we've got to change this this stigma almost of like sales leaders aren't can't be experts on everything either and you know, that's, that's really where we come in is that tactical support, um, you know, strategic support as well too, but there's just corners you haven't seen around or things that you haven't done that you should really bring in experts for and stop trying to hire a Jack of all trades in house. And you're, you'll get the same Jack of all trades results.
0: Let's, um, I want to, I want to drill down into some of the, like some of the topics you speak about on LinkedIn. Cause I, I, you know, there's so many things that you've done in your career. In all honesty, I didn't really know what to to talk to you about because there's so many different avenues <laughs> to be taken. But um, I think like, you know, the general, the general umbrella of future of sales, there's just, there's just some topics that keep coming up. And I think it's, I think it's good to just get your opinion on that. Cause you've lived, you've, you know, you've grown and exited high tech, to high, uh, you know, high, fast growing tech companies. And now you work with a whole bunch under scaled So uh, one thing that I saw you mention which I thought was interesting, I'm going to try and like, I'm going to try and pick out points that are going to like, yeah. um. Basically, maybe be unpopular opinions for some people, but i want to I want them to see it through your lens so sales is no longer relationship building in twenty twenty one What does that mean because that's something that if you haven't you know if you've been in sales you you keep hearing about building relationships relationship building depending on what industry you're in maybe more in some industries more than others sure, exactly. so what does that mean
1: <clears throat> yeah actually uh posted it's like it's a a spin on that today, and yes, there was similar, but most people kind of got it um I don't think buyers today, um, and let's just think about our speed of our world and how much we have on our plates today with emails and Slacks and respond, parental response. We have so much going on in our life today. Do you think that that person in Seattle wants another friend? Oh, I can't wait to be friends with Johnny, random vendor number seven. Now, over time, we might build a real relationship. The reality is, people want people who can help them solve problems and that they can trust. That to me is foundationally different than people that you like and want to spend time with. And I think that is where sometimes old school, or not old school, just people who grew up in a different era, um, get it get missed. They focused on like being likable and oh yeah, we've got a great rapport. I've never been like that. I've always been, let me understand what you're trying to accomplish. Let me tell you what I think could be a good option for you. Let's work through it together and let's see if we can really make an impact on your business. And that is the difference between focusing on how strong or do you like, did you, you know, did I send you a a gift when your kid was born or did I help you to get a promotion in three months? And I have consistently found that the latter actually drives more business and actually better air quote relationships. So it's, it's, are you focusing on the personal relationship and it's all personal, right? We're all humans, Mm -hmm. but, or are you focused on helping individuals achieve their outcomes? And so when I say that, that's what I mean by it.
0: Because you even mentioned something interesting before we started recording and you said you're focusing on, on, on framing things differently. So when you look at a B2B relationship, it's still dealing with a person. That's what you're, that's what you're speaking about with that, correct?
1: Well, yeah. And like a B2B it's. (laughs) if you define relationship, right? Most people think of a relationship as like Johnny's likable, right? Relationship building. I think, you know, if if you categorize relationship building as like building a business outcomes based relationship, then I can get down with that. I think it's when people define it as like, you know, people do business with people they like. I think that's bullshit. I think people do business to people that can help them. And if those Mm -hmm. people are... Then,
0: you know, then they'll like them. Then they will they like them.
1: Like, they will probably end up liking you, but they might not invite you to their daughter's wedding. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's, that's what I mean when I say that.
0: Now, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Grin. Now, Grin is the number one creator management platform, helping e-commerce brands connect with their audience through the power of creator partnerships. Now, influencer marketing, it's easy to get lost in the spreadsheets and busy work, combing through a messy web of communications, looking for content, wondering about campaigns, are they delivering, where the data points, have you shipped the creative yet, have you shipped the product yet, Uh, have they billed, have they invoiced, all of the headache that comes with managing creators and influencers, that's where Grin comes in. So Grin is an all-in-one software that allows you to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them, even though you're actually saving yourself a ton of headache. Grin helps you find and recruit the perfect ambassadors for your brand, streamlines the communication process, collects all the creator content in one spot, tracks the ROI in real time so you can create smarter campaigns that drive sales with Grin. One person can do the work of an entire team. You can find and recruit influencers, communicate with them, ship product, aggregate creator content, measure ROI all in one spot. You are maximizing every dollar you invest in influencer marketing and you are eliminating all of the headache, all of the busy work. Brands like Liquid IV, First Aid Beauty, Movement, they all run influencer marketing campaigns at scale and work with thousands of creators at the same time. They're all using Grin so you need to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them because in the creator economy it does experts believe that influencer marketing will become a 15 billion dollar industry by 2022 so this isn't going away anytime soon you have to figure out how to use influencers and creators at scale find out how grin can help you grow your brand watch the demo at grin.co that's Co influencer marketing is easier with Grin, find out why at Grin.co. That's G-R-I-N dot C-O. Gotcha. Okay. Um, other, other things that I think you could really provide some value or insight on, uh, building out sales teams. I saw actually this is one other one. Uh, lo- lower daily minimums for your sales rep, and I know that activity-based management is important, and you know understanding yes. those KPIs of the activities that lead to the results. What do you mean by lowering the minimums um, instead of tracking 100 activities? Obviously, going for much less.
1: Yeah, um, I many times were too focused. I'm a big fan of the concept of leads and legs, right? And if you're not familiar with this, it means. When you focus on the leading indicator, the lagging indicators should become an outcome. Mm-hmm. The issue is today. So I wanna, let, let's rewind back. So you asked me a question about what's the difference between sales today and before. So this, mm-hmm. is, actually, this is actually a difference. Um, every activity you did in sales, a call or an email, was to generate a meeting. So every activity had one specific purpose. And so tracking activities as a leading indicator to setting meetings, et cetera, made sense. Now, enter LinkedIn. Now, I want you to go like and comment on somebody's posts. I want you to go interact with someone. I want you to go do this, 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 or this. Hmm, what's the value of that activity? Uh, it's not one-to-one anymore. And so what I want people to do is now that we're asking sales teams to not do one-to-one correlated, one-action Over and over, like that telemarketing example, right? I knew if I made X number of calls, right, it would get to here. Makes sense in a highly transactional uh, world. But as we are asking reps to do more rapport building other things, I like the idea of moving to meaningful conversations, which is, you know, we're working on setting up time to meet, they connected me to the right person and focusing on outcomes. And if Susan can get there in 40 touch points, but it takes Jake 70 to get there, well, why are we talking about activities? Why aren't we talking about out the first outcome from these, uh, this, this pot of things we're asking people to do? So that, that's where that comes from, is that we need to, if you are asking your sales team to do things that are not one-to-one correlated, you, I don't think you can track activities the way that you did. Now, I can see you have like a minimum of 40 a day or 20 calls, fine. But, but you should be managing to, how good is my team at getting conversations that lead to meetings? Um, and that might mean activities that aren't one-to-one correlated to an activity to generating that meeting.
0: So, on that thought, where should your sales team spend time?
1: Wherever your buy, wherever your customers are, you know, like uh, the customers. So let's let, let's go yeah.
0: granular on this. So, like, say you're running yeah. an outbound campaign. Like, are you are you still Cold calling? Are you still yes. emailing? Are you still yes. on LinkedIn? Are you? Yes, 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 yes. But Video. so, is it just a, mi- a mix of everything and then some? Is there yeah. some that work better it, than others? Or
1: don't take. Here's here's what I, here's what I tell people. You can listen to what my answer is going to be, but it might be different for your your industry. The key to mm-hmm. to lead and to outbound. I'll just focus on outbound for a second. Is outbound is just like cracking, uh, you know, performance marketing Google AdWords campaign. There's no difference. You set up systems and, and hypotheses. You track results and you optimize your face off. And too often with outbound, we have this very set it and forget it. We set up our sequence. We do, we just run it. We don't then go back and run back the game film, what worked, what didn't work, tweak here. Most of our clients, we just ran a campaign. I'll tell you, this is very recent. It was literally like the last two weeks. Most, a lot of people don't know this on your LinkedIn, on your phone. On your phone, if you go to the mobile app on LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm. And you're a one to one connection, you can drop a voicemail to someone, or you can hit the plus button and send a one to one video. We just had an 18% reply rate from the one to one video. 18%. Wow. That's pretty
0: sick. Yeah. That's pretty sick. So you get yeah. someone
1: to connect with you. What do you do? Just send them a personalized video. How long does that take?
0: You know what I mean? Like 20 seconds. Do that. Exactly. <laughs> the length of the video. <laughs> you Whatever know what that I mean?
1: is. So long <laughs> yeah. story short, um you know, I think. I think it's all of the above. And a lot of people who, who rip on calls right now, I don't think they get it. The funny part is, is so anyone who shits on calls right now, here's, here's what I want to challenge you. What is your email hit rate out of the emails that you send? How many of those reply to you? Few, few out of a hundred. And people say, well, calls, I only get a hold of, you know, a a few people like, what's the difference? (laughs) Like, what's the difference? Like, and, and then guess what? You optimize over time. It could be, maybe you should be only doing calls. Maybe you should only be doing emails. Maybe you should only do videos. But the fact that one, more and more teams aren't just optimizing around general best practices to me is just insane. Um, and two, the fact that um, companies think that they know and they're not tracking and optimizing it's just crazy. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a story about, again, this is back. This is my first year at the Ra- This is 2004. Okay. 2004. <laughs> this will help you to understand like how I think 2004 after the first season, the, the the we had an inbound phone loop. So basically what happened is a phone, it would kind of like, it, would, it kind of jumps around like a round robin almost. Right. But if you're on the phone, it skips you and goes to the next person. Right. So, you know, the person calling in goes to the next person and, um, and what I did after the first year is I did a scatter plot and I plotted every single inbound sale in that year. And what I found is there were gaps of times when nobody called in. It's like 11, 11 a.m., like 2 p.m. and like 4, 10 or something. There's like half hour gaps. And so I just did a scatter plot. And then I and, then, and so what I did is I just sat there and I did all my administrative stuff until those. And so it would just keep, they were making calls and I'm like, Tampa Bay Rays, this is Jake. Tampa Bay Rays, this is Jake. And then people started to get pissed. My teammates, they started to get pissed. I said, I showed them the scatter plot. I showed them the data. I said, guys, look at this. That, this is why I'm not doing it. You know what they kept doing? They kept calling. I'm like, I'm showing you the data. And this goes back to, like I started to run my own career very early. And I think a lot of reps need to listen to this. I'm trying to optimize my own outcomes. My boss doesn't need to tell me. I need to know my own number so I can get better. And they eventually like broke the system and like three weeks later. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I, we've got to start to think of this as processes with constraints that we we're trying to optimize for a very specific outcome. It's not about opinions. And so I think we, it, sales, we have to take a, a more scientific method post you know, a scientific method approach to how we think about sales. So.
0: You know, what still blows my mind that everything, everything you said resonates, but so many people still will not take it upon themselves, will listen to the activities or the KPIs that are just given to them. And they don't, they don't think outside of this little box that they're, they're placed in as a sales rep. And it seems like, it seems like every other department doesn't have this issue. It doesn't seem like other departments have this issue because I think other departments are probably, I, I have no idea why, actually, I really don't know why. But marketers don't seem to have this issue. Like they'll suggest new things. They'll be creative. Half of their job is to be creative and to come up with creative solutions. But I don't see sales reps challenging their VP saying, hey, I don't think this is working so great. Can I try XYZ?
1: That's all you have to do. You say, hey, I'm going to do it your way. If for anyone out there who's like, yeah, Jake, this sounds great. And what you said just sounds great too. Here's what you do. You go to your boss and you say, look, I know these are our metrics. I'm going to hit those metrics. but..." I want leeway to do 15% additionally my way for the next two weeks. And if I prove that you're going to let me spend 55% 50% of my time doing it that way. Only if I prove my outcome. What do you think? Right? What do you think? think we should do that. I think most leaders are not stupid. Most go back to my point. Most Mm -hmm. leaders are not dumb. All right. He's still going to, or she's still going to do the the things that we asked and wants to try something. But again, it's like, people don't want to put in the work, you know, like they just want people to change. You know, like, no, like you need to do the work. You need to do like sitting here asking everyone to bend around you or change. Well, I have got an idea. Well, test the idea. Sitting here waiting for it. Sitting here waiting for permission. I was talking to like, especially when the pandemic first hit. If you're in SDR now and you're like, but I really want to get in sales. Why aren't you just taking your own first call? Just take the call. Nobody will know. You're sitting in at home. Like, what are you waiting? It's <laughs> like, true. What are you waiting for? You want That's to get true. more sales at bats or run a discovery, like just start to do it. You know, and and I think too many people are looking for someone to walk them through their career. And the reality is no one's going to care more about your career than you, not your mom, not your boss, not anybody. And you have to take that learning and growth mindset with you throughout that. If you just sit around and wait for your company to develop you and I'm doing my own cycles, listening to my own calls, getting better, man, that interest compounds. And that's, again, that's why I was a VP by you know, technically I think 31, but I just turned 31, um, is because of that mindset.
0: You also talk about, you know, you've, you posted about everybody when they're young should have a side hustle. Is that also to do with taking your career in your own hands? I post, I said that that? you did. You said, you said, you said, quote, (laughs) you said, Focus on work life balance now. This is, un, un, sorry, it was a message that will be wildly, uh, wildly unpopular for 95% of my friends, 25 to 35. Anyways, you said focus on work life balance now. 98% of people peddling this wouldn't be where they are if they didn't work 50 to 60 hour weeks for years. Everyone should start a side hustle when they're young. Sure, I'm all for it, but most people are knocked out to work 40 hours, side hustle for 20, and then be successful at both. So I, I I didn't really get the the final takeaway, oh, but saying- I was.
1: Most of you I was, don't have it in you to start a side hustle.
0: I was thinking, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking you were saying, if you are going to side hustle, do it when you don't have kids and when you don't have well, commitments. That's, that's what I was, that's, that's what I was thinking.
1: That's true. And that's, yes, yeah, so I'm saying both. I'm saying okay. that if okay. you are, but hustle, it's not like, the, the, the thing is this, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn, a lot of people, um, you know, who are my age roughly, or maybe a little younger, a little older, who... Grinded their asses off, and now, now they now they want to sit back and tell people back when they were 25, like you should think about work-life balance. And oh, I get where da, you're going. Da, get, okay, it's like, bro, you never would be where you are if you did any of this shit that you are peddling to people. And you know, you're trying to make mailbox money off of people now because you want it easy, and you've already been there and done it. And I think it's not that someone who's 25 or 26 or whatever shouldn't start a side hustle. But, you know, you got to you got to really go deep on something and really like develop a skill set first, you know, as opposed to. But, you know, good. You want to start a side hustle. Great. Just be prepared to spend 20 extra hours or you could spend that same 20 extra hours on your own craft, on your own job. Not because your boss told you to work 60 hours because you want to get better at it. And so I think you just can't have your cake and eat it, too. If you're like, yeah, you know, you can have a side hustle and you can have a full time job. I'm not saying it's not possible to be great at both. And there are certainly people who have done it, but I guarantee those people are working 80 hour weeks. And just, I think you gotta, you just gotta know what you're signing up for more than anything.
0: Um, last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, sales is inbound versus outbound. Cause you have opinions on that too. So we were talking about going outbound. So early stage company, let's say early stage company where the, where the CEO founder is not so experienced. Um, where should they focus their time? initially
1: Whoa, man well it's like the i know difference. these
0: are not listen i don't i don't bring you on to ask easy questions that people no. <laughs> could google yeah, bro They're
1: good no no, no it's it's um <clears throat> here's what i would say um everybody wants to do outbound because it feels good you're doing you're doing activities yeah. um, inbound takes time sometimes you can't track it right so like me posting on linkedin one to two times every day. What's the ROI? I put up a post 49 minutes ago. What's the ROI of that post? No idea. No, but I know that you should be. No idea. What I do know is that LinkedIn is our number one traffic source and we'll probably generate a few million dollars this year from business where the lead source is Jake's LinkedIn, but I don't know it's a one to one connection. Um, So outbound feels good. It is one to one. It goes back, remember, it's kind of coming full circle with this, right? A lot of that outbound activity can be one to one. I did an activity. This number of activities equals this. It feels very formulaic, even though the formula breaks now. Um, so I think the answer is probably both for most people. But start doing that brand, the experience stuff now, even if it's little, little, little. Because building inbound takes time. You know, building inbound takes, <clears throat> takes, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, too many companies, I think, wait to, to think about inbound. They start outbound. They start doing all this stuff. And then they're not thinking about, well, am I building the reputation and the SEO and those things to make my life easier in two or three years? Because when I just focus on outbound, I can see the fruits of my labor immediately. And so my answer for most of you is both. You start to think about where your audience lives and are you establishing a brand and a reputation within that group where they live digitally, coupled with... Are you starting to figure out how to generate interest from people who don't know about you? Um, so I think the answer is both. And, and I think so, most people wait too long to start in on inbound and therefore over focus on outbound. And because here's the thing if you only learn outbound, how does that scale? You just got to keep throwing more bodies at it, more bodies, more bodies. Whereas brand starts to snowball, you know, brand and reputation snowball. And so I think. You know, that's, that's how you've got to think about this, that you're doing it. and You might not see the results for six months, nine months, 12 months. But if you're putting out interesting content to your target audience, um, and you're not always pitching the, the, the people will come, it, it will happen for you.
0: So then, so then just to follow up, to, to close that thought up, if somebody does want to, to mm-hmm. do a side hustle is building a personal brand. A good use of their time.
1: I don't even think that's a side hustle. I think that's a requirement for being in marketing and sales. I think, yeah, yeah, it's a requirement. I don't think I don't think I would ever view it. I never viewed it as building a brand for a side hustle. I viewed it as because it takes the
0: time, right? And and I'm just trying to clarify for the CEOs or executives that are like, why are you spending time on LinkedIn? Why are you posting? job. And I think that I think it's skewing. I think it's skewing more towards the norm now. But there's, there's still outliers. There's still companies. I know companies that I was speaking to, speaking to a girl the other day, and I won't name the company she works for, or she did, used to work for because it's enormous. But in her contract, they made her sign an agreement that she would not have social media of any sort. Wouldn't post at all.
1: Stupid. Right? I'll give you one of my favorite stats <clears throat> is, uh, is it SAP. I think, yeah, SAP. SAP's corporate page posts on LinkedIn about 40 times a month. 11,000 SAP employees posted in the last 30 days. (laughs) Imagine if instead of doing what you just mentioned, you even harnessed a fraction of that, how much more of an impact that would make on your business. And I think too many people, we still have a very archaic view of organic social because again, we can't track that one-to-one. So yeah. Yeah. That's that. Just let that let that sink in for a little bit. And almost every company's got like a similar ratio, you know. I mean, a big company, I should say, um, where your people, if enabled correctly, can make or break. You know, they can gong. I mean, like look at gong. Gong has yeah, shown everyone a blueprint. Gong's killing it with this, yeah. they, guys. All they're doing is posting text only posts on LinkedIn. Guys, they are not doing anything. It, it, it is so repeatable for any company out there. And, and you've seen what it's like. Their valuation is silly. Fuck, silly. They, I think they have like the if, not the, if not the, one of the highest valuations to revenue I've ever seen. And I promise you that their brand has a big reason to do with that. And so, you know, and all it is is posting text only posts on LinkedIn. Do you think I do it every day because I'm stupid? Do you think they do it every day because they're stupid? No, we do it because it drives revenue and, and because I enjoy it. I, I genuinely enjoy like helping people and giving advice. So like, um, I think you can say m- more and more companies are going to have to, we're in a golden era right now. And I don't, I don't think most people quite realize it where we've got at least another few years on LinkedIn where there's still so much open space, so much, so much open space.
0: I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode HubSpot. Now, the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter With intuitive visual workflows and bot builders, you can create scalable, automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat so your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at HubSpot.com. Um, okay, I want to I do some rapid fire to close this up, but uh, closing thoughts from you, what do you want people to, to take away when they consume your content on the future sales? Any sort of just uh, last, last things to give the audience?
1: Well, look, I hope people come and when they come to, to check me out, they go, oh, I could just go try that today. You know, oh, you know, again, I challenge CEOs. Go listen to 10 sales calls. Yeah. Do you even know what's happening? That was your here? last
0: Remember? post. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Do you even
1: know what's happening? Right? The one this morning. Here are two myths you need to think about. Like, so if you're looking for, yeah, I talk about the future of sales and, philosoph- and you know, ph- philosophically where I think, but I love the tactical stuff. I love the nuances that make, that are actually really easy to execute. So if you want tactical advice and, you know, mixed in with a little philosophy, I think, you know, check out my LinkedIn. I've got now almost 450 videos on YouTube as well. So that's been a big push. Um, so you can just Google Jake Dunlap YouTube um, and you know, find those videos as well. Um, so yeah, that that's that's me. If you if this is your first time listening, I really enjoy the tactical side of it. Um, the game, the, the, the game, as you call it, of what goes into actually getting things done versus what sounds good. Um, and that's, you know, I think that that's me and I just launched the podcast too. So the Jake Dunlap show, if you go to jakedunlap.com, um, you know, definitely take a listen. That's a little bit different side of me where you get to hear me not talking as much and talking to some pretty amazing people, CEO of Hentwater, uh, Neil Patel is coming up. Uh, and so, um, uh, it's kind of a fun outlet for me now.
0: Awesome, man. Do you, uh, do you have any socials you want to drop? Um, yeah, go I know check out LinkedIn, LinkedIn,
1: simple yeah. forward slash Jake Dunlap. And then um, I think, yeah, go check out YouTube. I'm really proud of like the new stuff that we're doing out on YouTube. So definitely go check out YouTube and and check out the website, jakedunlap.com. And, you know, you can you know get a lot of the stuff from that.
0: Awesome. Okay. Uh, so let's do some rapid fire. So biggest challenge that you've overcome in your career, what was it and how'd you overcome it?
1: I think I'm in the middle of it, meaning... It's the transition from being a depart ex- excellent at a discipline to becoming a CEO, and how that changes what it means what success looks like. So I think I'm actually in one of my most difficult pieces. I've you know h- hiring in an exec team and scaling my own company, um, and what it takes to be a CEO is a different set of skills than what it takes to be a successful head of sales or head of marketing.
0: How do you, how do you, because you've done a couple pivots, right? You've done, you've done pivot um, into sales leadership. Then you've pivoted into uh, like running the agency. And now you're pivoting into probably taking a step back in the agency and making yourself a little bit redundant so that other people step in. So what, what's your, what's your strategy for actually tackling this? Because I think a lot of people try this and fail miserably. How many people start agencies after they've been an an executive for how many years and just totally screw it up. Right. So what do you do?
1: you don't, don't, step one, don't put people in positions that they're not ready for. You might think you want to give people an at-bat, but, you know, you also want to set people up for success. And I think that's a mistake that I've made quite a few times is, you know, meeting people with where they're at and giving them, you know, giving them a lot of opportunity, but also not putting them in over their head. And I think, you know, I've done that quite a bit. And so I think my big learning has been, you know, hire for experience at times. (laughs) You know, I think it's just like the, that that running head first. I want to develop people and I want them to grow. And I think what I'm realizing now is that, you know, hiring for experience, oof, man, you don't have to explain. It's like, no, no, no. I've done this eight times. You're like, oh, so I think hiring (laughs) for experience has been one of my biggest recent learnings. Not that I still don't have people that are in leadership roles that, you know, kind of grew into them. But I think as you scale you need people, and I made this mistake. It's actually interesting, man. I've never thought about it this. I did this exact same. I made the exact same mistake at Glassdoor, where my first five managers I, I had hired from within. One of them, there a couple of them had like been managers, but then they didn't have any like experienced other leaders other than me. And so, you know, they, they leaned on me, and I couldn't give them as much coaching. Whereas if I, I hired some more experienced leaders early on, maybe they could have helped them. So I think the concept of like you know hiring for you know, potential is okay, but there's a time when you need to hire for experience too. And, and that's okay, too.
0: If you had to choose one person, there's probably been many who uh, was incredibly impactful in your life. Who was that person and what did they teach you?
1: I'm going to pick Gary Vee, And I remember when I first heard him talk, it was in 2018. It's actually right when I, when I started. And I didn't like, you know, I listened to him back in like 2012 or something. I wasn't a big fan. But just positivity. Positivity uh, always wins. And, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and tune out the haters. You know, I had a lot of people come up to me, I remember in 2019, really, 2019, you know, after I had been kind of at doing my own thing for, you know, on LinkedIn and other social for a bit. And like, Jake, when you started doing that, like, I was kind of like, Ugh, who's Jake Dunlap? Why are you trying to do this? And like, you know, I, I could feel it. I could feel that hate, you know, like, but I, I think Gary's outlook when you really follow him I I feel like is truly a a very, I don't know, man, like very not normal outlook on life and positivity. And it gave, I think it gave me a lot of courage candidly to start to do something on my own in terms of my building my own brand. But, and knowing that I was doing it from a place of altruist, like altruistically and not from a place of bragging because going back, pulling this whole question full circle or whole interview full circle, growing up in the Midwest, you know, you're told, don't brag about yourself. You don't talk about yourself. And I think he really gave me the courage to say, well, I'm not talking about myself. I'm just sharing my experiences. And so I'll give Gary V a a shout out.
0: Good. Um, I like that. Okay, so a book or podcast or Audible or some resource that you'd recommend people go check out that you've liked?
1: Um, well, there's a there's actually a really good book that I've, I've read. I've literally just finished it for the second time called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I I think one of the biggest issues that we have as organizations actually same guy wrote a book i wrote his other book i think it's death death to meetings or meetings i can't remember what it is is right now we are we are having more meetings than ever before do you feel that way
0: do you feel it's I like, do, and i think i actually have that i think i actually have that book. Somewhere. five
1: dysfunctions
0: and i actually think i have it somewhere but i can't find I it now it i'm just here. looking
1: Wait, is that it? yeah Pat, patrick patrick lincolni is his name um,
0: yeah no i that's a good book yeah no i do we're having more meetings than ever man it is it is but are they Next any good? Next level, how many meetings I have? Are they
1: any good? The answer is no. no. They're, they no, suck. They're not. They suck. And so for me, what I'm really interested with my company right now, how do how do we become world class at running meetings? How do we make sure our agendas we're not wasting time? People are prepared. How do we let people create space to become prepared? To come prepared. This is at all levels. So five dysfunctions and his other book, I think it's called Death to Meetings. Just let's Patrick Linconi. Um, I've just been kind of absorbing these books because I'm really focused on how do we get better at meetings and do meetings the right way.
0: I think that's probably, that's probably been the biggest, the biggest, um, issue with working remotely. It's that, a, a conversation that would normally happen in the hall or in a, in an office, a quick five minute conversation turns into a 45 minute catch up on everything that's happening in your life. That's it. And man, it just, it is a time suck and a productivity killer and that stuff in the in the short term, in the micro doesn't actually it doesn't feel like it's a kind of annoying. But you think about how many hours you lose, and then you're burnt out and you're working on weekends, or you're working after five, or you're taking time away from your family, or your things are falling through the cracks. Like it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I think that's actually that's a smart recommendation, because I think that impacts people more than they realize it impacts people. For sure. Um, Okay, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be?
1: Just thinking of myself at 20. Um, you know, have a little bit more vision on where you're trying to go. Uh, and again, at 20, I was not a great student in, in undergrad. I stepped it up at the very end and, and it might got my MBA. But I think at 20, I didn't have a lot of role models. And I think that's something I could have maybe focused and spent more time on. I was working a lot, but, you know, just having, I think, a little bit more foresight into what I wanted to do to make smarter choices about school and like as opposed to just going down a path that you know i think a lot of people at 20 think they're supposed to go down
0: smart um and last question what does success mean to you
1: success for me right now is defined on uh, by how repeatable am i making things in my life and building routine throughout my life personal and professional so to me, success is like if I've got a routine where my company's in a solid operating rhythm, my family's in a solid operating rhythm, I'm, I've been one of those guys who fights routine. I like spontaneity. And I've just realized that that actually causes a lot more heartburn. Um, and so I think I'm trying to live a, a more disciplined life. And to me, I think the more disciplined that I become, the more successful I'll be both professionally and personally.